There's power in the Word of God, right? Power in the blessing of the Lord and power as God's people. Bless His holy name. He inhabits the praise of His people. We sense His presence here this morning, don't we? So wonderful to see all of you here on this beautiful day. We welcome those that are joining with us online. So glad to have you as well. Let's take our Bibles now and turn to this passage, Colossians chapter 2, that Paul read for us earlier. Coming to the conclusion of this emphasis in the month of August on family, faith and family the gospel on display. And I'm grateful for the encouragement I've heard that our times here in teaching here and in the hub also in our equipping classes have been to so many. Glad that God has used it. Hope you'll be praying for our next focus in the Word as we start next Sunday on the Sermon on the Mount as we are going to be looking for several weeks at life in the kingdom, what Jesus has to say to us about life in the kingdom in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. I told someone this week that almost 37 years ago when I started here as pastor, came about Christmas time, so there seemed wise to start with some Christmas messages, but then in January, I had to begin somewhere, so I felt led to start a series in, on the Sermon on the Mount. So we've kind of come full circle. Don't get any ideas. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not planning that way. Go to heaven one of these days, but it's A timeless passage. So we're looking forward to that. But now, Colossians chapter 2, what incredible passage we have this morning. Many years ago, I attended a pastor's conference, and a key speaker at that conference was a very well-known pastor. And during that conference, he said something that uh, caused me to laugh out loud kind of embarrassed myself, but others did as well. He said, you know, there are some pastors that when someone comes to them and makes uh, what they consider, the pastor considers to be an unwise statement, the pastor will do this. Hmm. (laughs) And that pastor said, that really means you're an idiot. (laughs) I laughed out loud, too, when he said that. (laughs) But he must have put a subliminal thought in my mind. Because sometime after that, we were doing a series on Bible doctrine here. And yes, it was somewhat of a lengthy series. Maybe a few lengthy sermons. Strange as that would seem. And someone came to me and said, Pastor Sam, now this teaching on doctrine is fine. And it's fine and good. 
But when are we going to begin to study something that's relevant and practical? You know what my response was to him? Hmm. <laughs> Sometimes you do something and you can just hear the Holy Spirit say to your spirit, mm mm mm. Let me tell you the reality, my friend, about that. The reality is this. All of life is theology. All of life is theology because what is theology? The word means the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. True knowledge is to know God. Who God is how he relates to his children, his creation, how he relates to us as individuals. That is theology. Socrates said, the essence of life is to know yourself, know yourself. That philosophy has been carried down to this very day, hasn't it? 2,500 years later. The answer to everything is to know yourself. Jesus said something a little different about the essence of life. Amen. Jesus said the essence of life is to know God. Amen. Matter of fact, he prayed that back to his father. It's recorded in John 17. John 17, verse 3, Jesus said this, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is true life. To know God through Jesus is the life that is really life. That's real truth. The truth of life is there is a God, one sovereign, holy God. And there is one mediator, gracious and merciful, between sinful men and women and that holy God, and his name is Jesus. Amen. That's the truth of life. And friend, that's the truth for life. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And what will the truth do? Put you in bondage? No, the truth will set you free. Amen. You will know the truth as you abide in my word. My word abides in you. And the truth will set you free. Note that. The truth sets you free. Abiding in Jesus' word, his truth, his truth about the Father, his truth about himself, his truth about ourselves, this truth sets us free and keeps us free. So that here's the reality that we can experience. We are 
complete in him. We are complete in him. And that's what I want us to focus on today. That's the title of this final message. We are complete in Christ. And I selected our text, Colossians chapter 2, for this final message in our series, Faith and Family, the Gospel on Display. And the reason, and I hope you'll listen, is this. Listen carefully. Because of their family, many people lose faith, and the result is their lives are doubt on display. Many people, because of their family, lose faith and result, their lives aren't faith on display, their lives are doubt on display. And so my prayer today is that many will be set free. Set free by what? Truth. Truth. The truth of Jesus does what? Sets us free. And my prayer is that the result will be that many here today, many who are listening, watching, will have faith that whatever your family in you, the gospel is on display. That you can have faith because of Christ, the truth of Christ, Regardless of your family situation, present or past, in you, the gospel can be on display. Now, from this passage, if you'll look there, Colossians chapter 2, there are three things that I want to share with you this morning from this passage about truth. First of all, ancient and present truth. Ancient and present truth that protects us from ancient and present lies. Ancient and present truth that protects us from ancient and present lies. And that ancient and present truth becomes our ancient and present reality. Here's what we're going to consider. Ancient and present truth. Ancient and present lies. Ancient and present reality. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, send out your light and your truth. The truth of who you are. The truth of Jesus and the truth of who we are in Christ. Help us to know, Lord, 
our identity in your reality. And Lord, today, set some people free for the glory of Jesus. In his name, amen. Notice here, first of all, Paul is talking to the Colossians and sharing some ancient and present truth. And how many of you know the Bible is ancient, but it is ever fresh and new and alive? Ancient and present, present truth. Listen, he says to the Colossians, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Now, if you are familiar with the writings of Paul at any level, you will know that Paul often uses the image of walking, walking as a metaphor for faith, that we are to Walk out, live out in faith who we are in Christ, who we, what we have in Christ. Now notice, Paul says this walk is because of Christ. Verse 6, he says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. This walk, he's not saying, hype yourself up. Imagine your fresh reality. Create your new future. No, he says, I want you to walk out the one you have received. And notice this walk is not only because of Jesus. Isn't this interesting? This walk is in Jesus. He says, this walk is in Christ. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Now, isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, now walk with him. That's what you would expect. But here in this passage, he says, walk in him. Now, it is true that Jesus walks with us. And don't we praise God for that? But here, Paul is emphasizing another wonderful reality. We walk in Christ. You see, the truth is, isn't it wonderful that Christ is more than a companion on the journey? Christ is the journey. <laughs> and Christ is the destination. He's not just a companion. He is the journey. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. And he is the destination. He is our promised land. It's Christ in this world who is our promised land, the abundant life. But notice then Paul abruptly mixes the metaphor. He uses a metaphor of walking and then he abruptly mixes the metaphor. Now we're told in our English classes, not to do that. But Paul can do it. Why? Because he's Paul. That's why. That's why he can do it. <laughs> Inspired of the Lord. You can take it up with Paul someday. Paul, you, make, you mix some metaphors. 
<laughs> you know what he may say? Hmm. <laughs> no, he might say, no, probably not. No. In heaven, it won't be that. Probably, probably shouldn't be down here. What are, we, what are we learning here? Christ is the soil for our souls. Notice verse 7. We walk in Christ rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Notice Notice these carefully chosen verbs that Paul uses. He says, in Christ, as you walk into Christ, I want you to be rooted. That's an agricultural term. I want you to be built up in him. That's an architectural term. And I want you to be established in the faith just as you were taught. That's an educational term. See, as believers... We are enrolled in the school of Christ. <laughs> Lifelong learners. We are enrolled in the school of Christ. Christ is the teacher. Christ is the subject matter. And Christ is the inspiration <laughs> that keeps us want, wanting to learn. Why? You will never learn all the wonders there are to learn about Jesus. Eternity won't be long enough to learn all the glories of his grace. And because in Christ we're rooted and built up and we're established and we're, we're abiding in his word. As we have been taught, notice... What happens? Well, we're just bound up legalistic Christians. Joyless people. We say we've been saved, but our face hasn't found out about it. Is that true? No. What's true when you're rooted in Christ, built up in Christ, established in him? What is, what's the result? Verse number 7 tells us, you are abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. Interesting, now, that word abounding in thanksgiving is the only active verb, only active voice. This means we are abounding in thanksgiving. We are doing it. Why? Because of what is happening to us. That's the passive verbs. We are rooted. We are being built up. We are being established. We are being taught. This is what God is doing for us. He is rooting us. He is building us up. He is establishing us. He is teaching us. And when that is happening, we bear fruit. What is it? The fruit of our lips Praise to our God. Thanksgiving. As we are walking in Christ, something is happening to us. Something is happening as we are walking in Christ. We are being rooted. We're being built up. 
We're being established. We're being taught. And then something's coming out of us. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Now, my friend, this is ancient and present truth. You see, we're talking... These words were written about Jesus by Paul nearly 2,000 years ago. But let me tell you about something about Jesus. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> he's not a historical figure. Why? Because he's alive. He's alive. He's the same. So what he is being described here is not historical information. It is present reality for those who have received Christ. You'll never be a thankful person. You'll never have true joy until you know that you've received Christ. How terrible it is when people have received nothing more than religion. Religion will not give you that joy that overflows. Why? That comes from Jesus Christ receiving him. My friend, the call that the Lord Jesus has to you is not to receive doctrine, though doctrine is important. It's not to receive religious observances, though they have their place. The gospel call is receive Christ. Receive him. As many as received him, to them he gave the privilege to become what? The children of God. Stop tinkering with your soul today. Stop trying to do better and run to Christ. Wrap your arms by faith around Jesus Christ. Receive him. He is life. In him is life. Receive Christ. And then, walking in him, rooted in him, built up, established, being taught in him, Christ is doing these things. And then abounding in thanksgiving. Are you? Are you more known for complaint? Are you more known for nitpicking? Are you more known for criticism? Or do people really don't have their jaw drop open when you give thanks? They don't think it's weird. Why? Because it's your vocabulary that comes out of your heart. My friend, never forget, what's in the well of your heart will come up in the bucket of your mouth. Amen. Yeah, we just stopped there. I'm not going to, but <laughs> think about that. Put a little sila right there. My friends, listen, let's talk about Jesus. 
this ancient and present truth protects us from what? Ancient and present lies. Ancient and present lies. Notice verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now notice this phrase, see to it. That's present tense imperative. It means right now. Make this a priority. Be on the watch. Be constant on guard. Guarding against what? Listen carefully. Guarding against being spiritually kidnapped. Spiritually kidnapped. You say, why would you use that phrase, Sam? Notice verse 8. Lest one takes you captive. One takes you captive. Take captive. That's the only time that word is used in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, it wasn't even after Paul until this word was ever found in any Greek whatsoever. The word here is sulagageo, sulagageo, and it's the only time, as I say, it's used in New Testament, and it means the idea of kidnapping, taking someone captive. But now, where does this kidnapping, this spiritual kidnapping take place? Listen, it takes place right here in the mind. Right here in the mind. Paul IDs these spiritual kidnappers. He says, do not let these kidnappers steal away the truth of Christ from you. Who does this? How's it done? Well, let's look at what he says. Who are these spiritual kidnappers? Notice, number one, philosophy. Philosophy means the love of wisdom. Love of wisdom. And, and there's nothing wrong with philosophy as a study. But here, when Paul uses the word philosophy, he's taking it from the Greek culture, which sought through philosophy to explain God, the world, and human life. He says, be careful that you do not allow the pagan thinking to define for you God, the world, and human life. This is the wisdom of this world, this world system. This is what philosophy is. It's the wisdom of the world, this world system. And in reality, what is it? Notice the next term. It is empty deceit. Empty deceit. It means a trick 
or a fraud, a sleight of hand. It looks like it offers you something, but there's nothing there. It's just a facade. It looks like it's substantial, but on the other side of the door, there's nothing. That's what he's talking about. This world, with all of its reasoning, when it tries to define God, human life, and the world, is an empty facade. It has nothing to offer. It glitters. It's appealing. It sounds sophisticated. But it is vain and empty. It's a facade. What are the sources of these spiritual kidnappers? What, what kind of sources? How do, what do the spiritual kidnappers use? What are their sources? Notice, human tradition. Paul here is probably thinking like the Jewish rabbi he is because tradition here means handed down. Handed down but not handed down from God. See, God has handed down to us a body of truth. His word. That's not what Paul's talking about. This is handed down by man. And it can be religiously handed down as tradition, but it's not God's revelation. What was it that Jesus said? To the religious leaders in his day, Mark chapter 7, verse 9, you set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. You set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. They could not and would not receive the living word of Christ because they wanted to hold on tightly to the tradition they had been handed. Then he talks about another way that people live in deception. It's by elementary or elemental spirits of the world. Here Paul is speaking to the pagans, the Gentiles. The word here is stoicheia, stoicheia. And it means, the idea here is the supernatural forces behind all of life. Now that's not what Paul believed, that's what the Roman world believed. The Greco-Roman world believed there were spiritual forces behind all of life. That's the reason they had this practice of polytheism. Spiritual forces behind all things. A life full of superstition that you're controlled by spiritual forces assigned with the universe. That's the reason they focus so much on astrology. Made decisions based on astrology. Matter of fact, our word disaster, disaster, it literally means bad star. Bad star. 
And Paul is especially dealing with here another philosophy that ran through the, the world at that time, this idea of dualism. Dualism, that there is a life force in the universe. There's a life force in the universe. One side is the light side. The other side is the dark side of the force. This ringing a bell for anyone? This this is Star Wars theology right here. I want to tell you something about Star Wars theology and the idea of a force running through the universe. Listen carefully. The force is a farce. There's only one power that holds together every atom and subatomic particle in the universe, and that is God Almighty. And when when he releases his power someday, it will melt with a fervent heat. But now listen to me. They were superstitious, of course, but listen. There are innumerable unseen spiritual forces in this world. Good and evil. Angelic beings. Fallen angelic beings, known as demons in general. And holy beings. We know as the holy angels. There are dark forces at work for a period under the sovereign control of God. At this moment, there are unseen angels (laughs) by untold number, glorious, in display of God's majesty. But friend, listen to me. There may be billions upon billions of angelic beings, but there is only one God Almighty. There is one God, and that God is our Heavenly Father. (laughs) So my friend, marshal all the demons of hell against you and stand by the side of your Heavenly Father. Guess where the power is? Don't make the devil into God in your brain. That's what he's always wanted. There's only one God. There's only one person in charge. That's the Lord God Almighty. But don't take the devil lightly. He's not to be played with. The Bible says, beware of him. He's like a roaring lion. Why does he roar? Because his power is in a lie. What did Jesus say about the devil? He is a liar. And he is the father of it. He told the first lie. And Adam and Eve believed the lie rather than the truth of their heavenly father. And sunk the world under the curse 
by their rebellion against the Heavenly Father. Don't listen to him. When the devil speaks, he speaks a lie. If we're not careful, we begin to believe lies of the devil or lies of our own sinful selves rather than the truth of God. Do you understand something, my brothers and sisters? That if we're not careful, the lies of this world get into our mind. And we begin operating on the lies of the world rather than the truth as in Jesus. What did Jesus say? You will know the truth and what? The truth will set you free. So what's the lie? Here's the lie. The big lie. You are not complete in Christ. That's what these believers were being told in Colossae and all over the world. Yes, Jesus is a Christos. He's an anointed being. He has brought light from the force. But you must move on beyond Jesus and into the deeper truths of the universe. Jesus is a good start, but he's not the end. My friend, listen, the Bible tells me he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the whole alphabet. Everything God has got to say, he has said in Jesus. And in Jesus, we are complete in him. Now, from that big lie, you're not complete in Jesus. There's two lies believers often tell themselves, and it's related to family. Some of you are wondering, <laughs> I think he's circling the airport. Is he coming back? thought we were talking about the family. Remember what I said about doctrine? Don't make me look at you and go, hmm. <laughs> Don't. Here, here's the lie. I am only complete if, fill in the blank. I am only complete if. Let's connect that to the family. I'm only complete if I'm married. I'm only complete if I have the perfect marriage like other people. I'm only complete if my kids are perfect. I'm only complete if my family is successful as it is defined in this age. You see, I'm only complete if, and it has nothing to do with Jesus. What is that? That's a lie. Don't let that lie bounce around in your head because the Bible says you are complete in Christ. Here's a second lie. Many times regarding family. I will never be complete because of blank. 
I will never be complete because of blank. I will never be complete because I'm divorced. I'll never be complete because I'm not divorced. I'll never be complete because I don't have kids. I'll never be complete because I have kids, these kids. I'll never be complete because I had awful parents. I'll never be complete because I am an awful parent. I'll never be complete because I never had parents. Well, what can you do about these lies, these, these, these thoughts, these vain, captivating thoughts? What can you do with them? Take them captive. <laughs> this is what Paul said. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 to 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion are raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Amen. You say, well, Sam... You can't control your thoughts. I understand that. But you don't have to let your thoughts control you. Stop wearing yourself out and obsessing over thoughts that go through your mind. Don't let them control you. Don't act upon them. Act upon the truth. Martin Luther said, you can't help if a bird flies over your head, but you don't have to let the bird make a nest in your hair. <laughs> Amen, Martin. <laughs> Take them captive. You say, but they just come and come and come. I know the battle rages and it will rage, thank God, till we are fully redeemed. But until then, by Christ, we don't have to be controlled by those thoughts. I am who you say I am. Amen. Amen. Stand in reality. Stand in the reality. Replace lies with truth. What is the ancient and present reality? And we close with this. This is the ancient and present reality. Here is the reality that you live out of. Verse 9. For in him, that is Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 10. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now notice that. Jesus is full. The fullness of deity bodily. Why did Jesus say, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father? But notice what he says. This fullness of Jesus 
is available to fill us, not to make us God, but the power of the reality of the Son of God raised from the dead, filling us. The reality of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, abiding in his word, being constantly reminded that the one who lives within me and who died for me and rose for me, the one to whom I belong, has all authority on heaven and earth. The truth is the sovereign fullness of Christ. Friend, let me tell you, Christ is all, all in all. It's not Christ plus something. You want to know if you're talking to someone in a cult, ask them one question and then listen carefully. Who is Jesus? And if they do not tell you, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, incarnate God, eternal Son, co-equal with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, then it is not Christian. Amen. It is cultic. My friend, God did not send His Son to make it Jesus plus someone else or something else. In Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Amen. So out of this sovereign fullness comes our sufficient fullness. Verse 10, you've been filled in him, the head and rule of all things. Your present reality is whose you are. What's reality? Not who I am by what I've done or what I do. That's not reality. Reality is whose I am because of what he did. And he called me to himself. And by his grace, I rose out of my darkness and into his light. I am who he says I am. So does that mean life is just rosy? I mean, you have to become a Christian science practitioner, which is neither Christian nor science. <laughs> this, this pain I'm feeling is not real. It's just... State of mind? No, it hurts like crazy. No. You don't live in truth by denying pain and suffering and hardship. No, you live in truth by knowing that the reality of who Christ is and who you are in him is greater than that pain. And God's in control of that trial. He's sovereign over that struggle. Here's an ancient personal example. What did Paul say? Here's Paul talking about being complete in Christ. You see, Paul's talking about being complete in Christ. 
Now listen to him. Is he a hypocrite when he says this? 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that were given to me. I mean, Paul received revelations as no one else. He said, I was given a stake in the flesh, not a thorn. Not a thorn, a stake in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was. But it was a messenger of Satan. Satan was behind this attack. God allowed it. He permitted it. How did God use an attack of Satan for Paul's good? It kept him from becoming conceited over all the things that he had come to learn and see in Christ Jesus. No human being could experience what Paul experienced in the spiritual realm. No human being could know the power that God gave Paul to share and not become conceited unless he was humbled. Paul says this three times. I pleaded with him. Three times I begged him about this. That it would leave me. But he was saying to me. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is being made perfect in your weakness. Here's Paul's answer. Well if that's the way it is. Your power and my weakness. Then here's my answer, Lord. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Not that I enjoy. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is what it means to be complete in Christ. Not immune from pain. Not separated from suffering. Not someone who doesn't endure the unendurable. But to know that Christ is more. He is the Christ for every crisis. Our sufficiency is of Christ who is all sufficient. Rooted. Grounded. Established. Complete in him. That's Paul's example. But my friend, there are present examples too. There's present examples all over this room. People here. People watching who could share. People there neither who could share. But let me tell you this week. Very quickly. Two examples. I had lunch with a pastor. I hadn't seen him in years and years. We met for lunch. And he began to share with me the physical and emotional ordeal that he had been through over an extended period of time. And the relational betrayal that he had experienced from people that he thought loved him. Fellow elders and his eyes as we sat there were misty 
But you know what? There was joy in his face. He said, I found Christ sufficient. He, he wasn't rejoicing in what happened. But he was rejoicing in what God had done in his life. And his family's life. And bringing him through that. That was lunch just a couple days ago. And then yesterday. Yesterday. A text from a former member here. Many years ago, she was a young wife in an adult Bible fellowship. Susan and I led that. And she and her husband were just such a model couple. We were with them many times. I do not know all the depths of what was going on in his life, but he went astray, went into infidelity. I met with him, others met with him, begged him, his wife begged him. He would not hear, went to process of church discipline, he would not hear, and to this day has not publicly repented. His wife was utterly devastated. I don't know if I've ever seen a countenance of more grief for an extended period of time. But she looked to Christ, and in God's time here at this church, God brought a godly man into her life. And they began a relationship. It led to an amazing, beautiful wedding. Now blessed with children. They live in another area. But you know what she called, texted me about, wanted to know if I would be a reference as she has been accepted as a biblical counselor. <laughs> and I just sent her a text back after I could see clearly. Beauty for ashes. Here she is, wounded. My friends, I tell you, devastated. But now, whole in the Lord, using the scars and the pain to which Christ was the sufficient healer to make her an encourager of those who are going through like suffering. You see, that's how it works, friends. In good times, not good times, Christ is all. He's sufficient. Whatever in your life has happened, Christ is sufficient. He's greater than your past. He's more powerful than your present. He's already waiting for you with his strength in the future. Christ is all and in all. Now I want to ask you a question. Two questions. Will you praise him for the storms this morning? Will you praise him for the storms that you've had in your life? Think of it. Some of you think of it. What you've been through. 
But where are you today? You're sitting in the house of God, listening to some great music, and an old, not-so-good, long-winded Baptist preacher. <laughs> That's amazing. Praise him. Praise him for the storm. And I want to ask you now, will you praise him in the storm you're in right now? Not deny it. It's awful. But will you praise him? That even though you feel like you're slipping, 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 his grip is not slipping on you. You're in the grip of grace. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus. You are enough. You're more than enough. Lord, I pray now, I'm praying right now, Lord, for people who need your grace to praise you for the storms. Will you do that, brother, sister? Will you do it right now? Will you praise him for the storms he's brought you through? Will you praise him in this storm right now? Will you? Will you say, I'm not sufficient, but Christ is. I'm not much, but in Christ, I'm complete in him. Take captive those thoughts. Don't let them control you. Turn it into praise to the one who controls all things. Our heads are bowed. I wonder, as our heads are bowed, if you just enter into that prayer. Maybe you'd like to come and pray about it right now. We have folks to be glad to pray with you. We invite you to come. But we're going to sing to our Lord. And I pray it's your testimony. I am, finish the phrase, I am who you say that I am. Let's stand.